Welcome to Because We Make, the podcast about making creativity and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me as always, my good friend and co-host, Ms. Brooke Deneau. Hi, Brooke. Hey, Vincent, and hello to you, the listeners. Yay. Hi, everybody. We're back. We are back. <laughs> We're back to do this all over again. Yeah. Every week. (laughs) I learned a very important lesson this weekend. What did you learn this weekend? So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, that I had... My thing of the week was a guy on YouTube. um, His name was Steve from Stez Sticks Fix. I can't pronounce (laughs) that channel name for some reason. And we we talked about him and the stuff he did. And it inspired me to go out on eBay and start buying 1980s tabletop Coleco arcade machines. Yes. So I bought a bunch of them. Like I bought Wait. a Donkey Kong and a Pac-Man and a couple of others. And I even got a Simon from 1978 in the original box that doesn't Wait. work. What are you going to do with all of them? I'm going to fix them and I'm going to flip them. <laughs> I, love, I love I love old stuff. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, and that'll be so cool. That'll be a great project. So I learned the lesson that don't buy cheap stuff. So I went to fix one of them this weekend. And I was using one of my digital multimeters and I mm-hmm. ran it on one of the resistors and it gave me one reading. And I was like, okay. And I moved around. I went back and it gave me another reading. And then I moved it. The same resistor gave me three different readings with this yeah. meter. So I got <laughs> really annoyed. Yeah. And I ordered a, my thing of the week, which we'll talk about. And I ended up figuring out that it had nothing to do with those parts because the one part that was bad, it was actually able to diagnose. So the lesson broke. Don't buy cheap tools. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a that's ironic that you say that that you say that that's the lesson you learned there because one of the most common questions that we field is when people are purchasing laser cutters or CNC machines, any like sort of big machinery for their shop, they'll often reach out to us and ask like, "What's the best piece of advice you can give?" And I always say that it's maybe obnoxious advice, but it's like, wait, you're so much better off like. I mean, for big tools and small tools, like just wait till you can afford a good one. Yeah. Especially yeah. with bigger tools like lasers and stuff, because if you just get the one that you can afford, that isn't quite what you need or like, meh, it's going to take up space and then like set you back. They're still expensive no matter how you how you slice it. Yeah. So then you just get stuck with something that's just going to cause you more headache than anything. I've seen so many people that, you know, they, they do the Harbor Freight thing. Yeah. And it's like, this is a good deal. This is a good deal. I'm like, if it's working in a year, it's a good deal. Yeah. Like some of the Harbor Freight stuff is good. No doubt about it. But like, a, re, a you know, people go, oh, it's cheaper than Ryobi. Yeah, there's yeah. a reason. Yeah. I, I was going to say Harbor, Harbor Freight, I would argue, is so far gone, like <laughs> so far swinging to the other side that yep. I think it's potentially a special case in certain situations anyway. The rule of thumb should be don't buy anything with a motor from Harbor Freight, but the hand Maybe. tools are actually halfway decent. I just watched um, <laughs> Donut Media did, um, they compared the all the different tiers of screwdrivers that they make mm-hmm. and the Doyle brand, which is their mid-tier brand, did really, really well the, to the point where they picked it in, and it competed against Matco and Snap-on. So huh. it's like, oh, okay. So some of their stuff is actually pretty damn I mean, good so guess it makes sense i think with the hand tool like the hand tools always the hand tools the hand tools are fine it's <laughs> yeah. things with motors don't buy things with motors it's <laughs> or be prepared that you might have to buy it again so yeah we have a welding table that's from harbor freight and we just oh, a, we bought okay. it because we just pulled the the like table top off of it mm-hmm off the legs and then we made like a flip out welding table for outdoors at our shop because we don't really have space for welding set up indoors i didn't even know y'all did welding 
we don't do it that often, but we have it. Wow. Yeah. Really, are you you and Michael are really Renaissance type people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So we have a guest this week. We have a guest this week. And I like telling this story because I think it's very funny. So I'm going to tell it again for the listeners because I've told it twice to the people that are in the room at the moment, so to speak. <laughs> um, but there is there's this one. Well, there are two YouTube channels that Beth and I used to watch together. And I was under strict instructions and orders that I was not allowed to watch them without her in the room because they were her favorite channels. And one of them, I by some miracle, we actually got him today. We have the one and only Steve from Dashner Design. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hey, Steve. I'm I'm great. Thanks for having me. You have, I for those of for those of you that don't know, um, why don't you tell our audience what you do, um, what you do on your YouTube channel and what it's about, so people have a feel for the kind of content that you produce. Uh, it's mainly about <clears throat> furniture restoration. Um, mm -hmm. Most videos, I find a piece of furniture in a thrift store, and then I take it home, and I refinish it, um, repair it, do all kinds of repairs from veneer work to, I don't know, replacing missing parts, and uh, refinishing, that kind of thing. I love one of the things I love about your about your method and the way you do your restos is when you don't just go, I don't like this or like this has got veneer. You are one of the few people I've seen who doesn't just want to tear off all the veneer and like remake everything in solid wood, yeah. and whatever. And I've learned so much about repairing veneer from watching your channel, like how you oh. do it, the crazy amount of detail that you put and all the crazy techniques you use. It's so fascinating that you actually put that care into something that most of us just kind of go, ugh, veneer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, a lot of people have very strong feelings about veneered furniture for some reason, but it's there's nothing wrong with veneer. It's not a, a sign of cheap furniture. It's been used for hundreds, if not thousands years. And um, yeah, I, I think they associate it with like MDF and chipboard uh -huh. as opposed to the kind of stuff that you're restoring, which is actually wood. It's just not the wood that the veneer is making yeah. it look like. Yeah. And a lot of times there is uh chipboard underneath the veneer, mm -hmm. but even that it's, it wouldn't be my first choice to <laughs> use chipboard. It, the, the, uh, main drawback is if it gets wet, it will mm -hmm. swell up and it's really hard to fix, but a lot of, I do mostly mid-century modern furniture Yep, and, you know, factory made pieces and a lot, if not most of those pieces have particle board somewhere. Um, sometimes there are plywood, veneer over plywood or veneer over particle board. And yeah, I get comments uh, on my videos every once in a while, people saying, oh, it's particle board or chipboard it you just throw it you know burn it put a dumpster <laughs> i don't like, yeah that's, I don't, not, I don't know. that's not what i do it seems incredibly wasteful yeah. to me i mean oh yeah and i think that a lot of people also have this idea that if it's old then it must be solid wood furniture mm. I've yeah that impression also from some of the comments um you know which is not the case and oftentimes something other than solid wood is going to be more stable. You know, it's not going to warp or crack as much or split as yep. a piece of solid wood. So 
I mean, even today, you know, people don't realize that a lot of the, you know, oh, look at those beautiful wood cabinets. Yeah, they're probably plywood. Like, they're yeah. probably plywood. Like, <clears throat> I know plywood is another one of those materials that's like, you know, if you make stuff, you understand that plywood's pretty much in everything. But if you mm-hmm. don't, you're like, plywood? <laughs> I wanted solid mahogany. What are you doing? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. if you had solid mahogany, you'd be paying a lot more and you may have issues with it uh splitting or you better have some serious climate control if you're going to have solid anything (laughs) yeah yeah so when you decide to restore a piece of furniture what do you look for um i mostly do mid-century modern furniture for a few reasons one i like it and Mm -hmm. a lot of people out there like it a lot of viewers like it it's probably I would say it's the most popular style of furniture these days. Um, And also it's probably the easiest to refinish because it's um, usually mostly made of big flat surfaces without any kind of adornment uh, like carvings or fancy turnings or anything like that. So if you're trying to strip it, big flat surfaces are a lot easier than fancy little details. Like if you had maybe, a, I don't know, a Victorian piece or something that had all kinds of frilly carvings and things in it, that, you know, I, I would not want to have to strip. You know, like that colonial furniture with like the spun legs and the yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Like that's... No work and stuff. You mm-hmm. seem to be like, you seem to have, and I don't know, I mean, obviously this is the way it comes across in the videos, so I can only go by the videos, but you seem to have this encyclopedic knowledge of like how to get a thing fixed. Like I've seen you use stuff that I've never seen anyone else use. Like I learned all about oxalic acid through you, which ironically was one of the chemicals that they gave me when I was in chemo. Um, But oxalic acid, I've seen you use, like I've seen you use just water and a rag and a soldering iron to fix stuff. Where did you learn this stuff? And do you have any like formal training or is this just something you just set out to learn and just decided you were just going to learn it? Uh, yeah, I, I learned mostly just by experience, trial and error. Um, not so much from watching YouTube videos because when I started, there really weren't many, uh, YouTube, uh, furniture restoration channels. So, um, yeah, mostly like books. Um, and, and, you know, some stuff like the, you mentioned the soldering iron mm-hmm. that's steaming out dense. So you just get it mm-hmm. wet and then you get it. And you can use a clothes iron too, but a lot of times... I've showed that iron. trick to a lot of people, by the way. And that part of your video and people are just like, I've known, I've always thought about the iron. I didn't think about the soldering iron. That's genius. Yeah. That's genius, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, that's kind of basic woodworking. So that kind of thing I probably picked up from woodworking videos or books or something. <laughs> and a lot of it's just trial and error. I mean, I, I still remember the first piece that I tried to finish and it was a disaster. It was. <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up. Cause like, I was going to ask, what was the first piece of furniture that you picked up? Why did you pick it up? What were you thinking and how did it go? Yeah. Um, it was a big old dining table that I found in an alley. Somebody was throwing it out <laughs> and this is probably about, uh, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago. And, I had just bought a house recently, so I needed a table. So this thing was free. And I've always been interested in woodworking and that kind of thing, but I really never did any refinishing. So I took it home and probably over the course of like two weeks after I would get home from my day job, I would try 
I would refinish it. But I, I really had no idea what I was doing, so it just took forever. And in the end, the results were not very good. <laughs> no, it was what it probably like these days. It probably would take me just a few days to do it, but it took a few weeks. What did you do to it? Uh, well, I tried to strip the finish off the top, and I, I think I was using citrus strip, which actually used to work great. But I was I just going to say, they must have changed it because everyone yeah. that's used it to say they used to work really, really well. Now, <laughs> not so much. Yeah, they definitely yeah. changed it. And I think actually everybody, the, all the companies had to change because of some kind of EPA rules, I think. Who? So, um, yeah, last time I used it, which was probably almost a year or two ago, it was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it used to be great. So I, I, I tried using that and... Again, I didn't even know how to use that. So I, it, what should have taken me an hour took me a few days, and it was just like just a mess. And then I think I ended up sanding through the veneer, which is something that I <laughs> rookie mistake. Yeah, I, that's probably the number one email or message I get is I sanded through a veneer. How do I fix it? <laughs> so not, it's really not. You you only have a couple choices. Either have to replace a veneer or try to kind of like artfully blend it in with some paint or something like that. <laughs> a whole but, bunch of brown markers and hope for the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I sand it through in a few spots and I used some kind of ugly stain on it. And it was just, it was a disaster, but I did, I got years of use out of it anyway. I, I still brought it in the house. So that's, that, doesn't, that was the first one. Doesn't have to be pretty. <laughs> no. Yeah. And that's what I, when people ask me for advice on how to get started, I always say, find something cheap that you don't have any sentimental attachment to. Hopefully, it doesn't have any monetary value because you are <laughs> going to make mistakes. You're probably going to screw it up. So <laughs> find something in an alley. Yeah, expectation management. Yeah. <laughs> it goes a long way. You seem to have a knack for finding... Like I, I, I'm always jealous of some of the pieces you find because... You find I like I really like mid-century modern stuff. I like the lines. I like that that kidney-shaped um, table. You had one coffee table that had that shape. I always call it the Jetson style. Like if yeah. it looks like it yeah. could be on this on the set of the Jetsons, then it's exactly the kind of furniture I like. Yeah. And yeah. you seem to have a knack for finding that. Is there just an abundance of it in your area for some reason? Because mm. I've been in like thrift stores around here. Yeah. I've gone to the, the Habitat for Humanity Restore is literally walking distance from it. I can walk to yeah. it. They yeah. never have anything cool. It's always these old, ornate, gigantic pieces. You seem to find exactly what I want. I feel like I need to move to your neck of the woods if <laughs> yeah. I'm ever going to want to find that stuff. Well, I, you know, I, I hear that a lot from viewers. Like, oh, I got to go to your thrift stores. You're always <laughs> finding stuff. I think it's, it's kind of an illusion, though, because I, just because I'm I'm putting it out there for the world to see when I find something. But it's actually not that often. Um, it's pretty hard here to find stuff. It used to be easier. Mm -hmm. So probably when I first started doing videos, I was finding a lot more stuff, which was 2015. Mm. Um, but then it got really well, mid-century modern got really even more popular popular than it already was. Mm -hmm. And in my area, lots of vintage shops popped up and vintage resellers. So there was a lot more competition. 
So for the first, I don't know, two or three years of me doing videos, I did find things pretty often, but it really tapered off after that. And I, I know it looks like I find a lot of stuff. But I don't <laughs> feel like I find a lot of stuff. Well, you're really funny because you'll intro a video like I was I was driving down the street the other day and I found this out by the curb and I just took it, it home. To it. And it's like, what what are you finding <laughs> by the curb? Like, I don't find this stuff by the curb. Yeah. It, I I have gotten lucky with a few things like that. Um, I have actually there was a big credenza that I found on the curb in the rain one day and i i remember that one yeah yeah i had like a the top of it it looks like it's slate but it's actually a man-made material it's got like a dark gray and that was a great find and i still have that i I use it in my house it's a great great piece Uh, and i know i found i found a big old walnut dresser maybe last year just on the curb yeah (laughs) throwing it out i don't know so it's got to be just luck. I don't know. But it's, I a, always, it's a gift. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm always keeping my eyes open. Like I can spot a piece of furniture in yeah. an alley or down the street, like, you know, half a mile away. <laughs> well, it's, it's like if you're, if, yeah, I was gonna say, if, you, if you're open to it and looking for it, I would imagine you just see it more often. And I'm sure that I've driven past walnut dressers before that. I just didn't, wasn't looking for a dresser. So why right, would yeah. I look twice? Yep. You you seem to have a a philosophy of bringing things back to their original too. Like I, it was kind of recently where you ebonized the two different pieces, the last yeah. two that you did, which I really really like because that's a method I use too, the vinegar and steel wool method. Uh-huh. I love that because it makes red oak actually look like nice. Because yeah, I hate red I oak, it. but <laughs> it really does wonders for red oak. But you do seem to go out of your way to match the stain and match the try to match the finish and. Even what like you had that white thing, you know, you even yeah. tried to put that back to the way it was. You really do. It's almost like you pride yourself on bringing something back rather than, you know, just making it something new, which is interesting because, you know, repainting and modifying and flipping stuff seems to be where everyone goes. If even if you look at Facebook Marketplace. So where yeah. does that come from, that whole desire to bring things back to their original state? Well, I think for the mid-century modern stuff, which is mostly what I do, it, I think it just looked best in its original finish. Although, I will say, you know, I, I don't always use the original techniques that were used in the factories. Sure. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't, I don't have the, I mean, I don't even have a shop here, really. I work out in my driveway most of the time or in my garage. So... Um, I don't have the means to like spray on tinted lacquers and things like that, which is how they would have usually done it originally. So I think it's, it's finished more like in the spirit of what it looked like originally, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe not necessarily exactly like it was. Um, and sometimes I actually prefer it the way I did it over the way it originally was. Cause I mean, it still looks like I'll say, I don't know, walnut coffee table. It still looks like a walnut coffee table. It's right. the same basic thing. But, I, you know, a lot of times they would um, spray on this tinted lacquer over the entire piece because usually they would use a veneer piece for the top, the big flat part. And then for the legs it, and the apron, it was often a solid piece of wood. And instead of using walnut for that, which would have been really expensive, they would use something cheap like... Um, I don't know, poplar or elm or something like that, which is a lot wider. 
than walnut. So they would just spray it with this brownish lacquer. So you could still see through it, see the wood grain, but it was brownish like yeah. the top. And I, you know, I don't, uh, I sometimes, I, sometimes I use, that's called toner lacquer, by the way, when uh, tinted lacquer. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll use that in a can, just like a spray can, just for small things. But <clears throat> to do it like they did at, a, at the factory, I don't have a place to do that. I don't have any way, and I don't really want to do it. And I wasn't really ever <laughs> that crazy about the look. I'd rather get the color using a stain or maybe a dye stain because the, the tinted lacquer, to me, it always kind of looks like it's been sprayed with paint almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so to to your point, I I guess I I don't I wouldn't say I do it exactly like it was, but it it's I don't paint them usually. Right. That's that's kind of yeah. what I'm. Yeah. You kind of you're going more for the original feel, and then you are for like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna change all the hardware on this and do this. Yeah. Your your stuff generally looks like it could have rolled off the factory when we expect it to have rolled off the factory assembly line. Right. Yeah. So you. Yep. I is I don't know so you know I don't mean basic is this your full time gig or is this your is this your passion project that just happens to be really popular on YouTube like do you have a day job or is this your day job? No, this is it. This is my day job. Cool. Now wow. it wasn't always. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have had just lots of jobs that I hated. You know. Jobs. Oh really? Yeah. And um, let's see, I I think I've been doing the YouTube thing full time for maybe two years now. So it wasn't the whole time. Um, I think when I started, in December 2015, is when I put up my first video. And at that time, I had left, I had previously worked in mortgage, which I have no, I zero interest in. I just ended up there by accident. And... (laughs) I hated it, so I eventually <laughs> I, I left that, and I tried a couple of things. At first, I was going to make guitars because mm-hmm. I play guitar, and um, that seemed like a fun thing to do, and that didn't really work out. <laughs> and then I got the idea to do the furniture thing, so I started out just selling it on my own, like online, and let's say in Craigslist, things like that. And then I started working for a vintage furniture shop and selling on consignment there. And then, let's see, I left there and I got a booth. I rented a booth in another vintage shop. So I had my own little space and I would, I'd be refinishing the stuff and selling it there. And somewhere along that line, I had started watching YouTube and watching I, I would watch mostly woodworking videos <clears throat> and i don't know something just something popped in my head i thought well maybe i should try doing mm. this so i thought well I'm, I'm already spending the time refinishing this furniture what if i just put up a camera while i'm doing mm-hmm. it <laughs> and you know put up the video see what happens so um i did that and then you know it was a slow growth for my channel and <laughs> It's funny because I see some channels these days that yeah. just explode. Like they're at a hundred thousand subscribers in less than a year, and yeah. it took me—I don't even know how many years—to <laughs> get yeah. that far. But 
Um, somewhere along the line, I realized that the selling the furniture just, just wasn't working. I was not making nearly enough money. I'm a terrible salesman. I don't like selling things. And <laughs> all the work I was, because a lot of people would just be flipping this stuff. They just yep. buy it out of somebody's garage and then do nothing to it and just sell it for, you know, 10 times what they bought it for. But I was trying to refinish them and fix them up. And when I did the math, it was like I, I was just losing money. I wasn't mm-hmm. able to get people to pay enough to pay for all the time and labor and all that. So, and you know, my my bank account just started getting depleted, and so I just realized I gotta, I have to stop the uh, vintage shop thing, and just get a. I had to get another office job just to get back on my feet financially, which I did. But I kept doing the YouTube thing in the meantime. And as the YouTube channel grew, I realized that I could make more money from refinishing a piece from the video than I could selling it. Mm-hmm. It was just way wow. more. Yeah, it was way more uh, profitable to make the video than it was to try to sell this thing. That's a hell so, of a realization to have to make. Like yeah. that, the, that the representation of the thing is probably worth more than the thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I got another mortgage job, which I hated again. <laughs> but I had, I just, <laughs> I there had he to was. Get, yeah, I had to get something for a while. And while I had that job, I, I would just try to, to when I, either before I went to work, like at, 6 a.m. I'd be out in the garage trying, you know, putting finish on something so that when I got home at six, it would be dry and I could put another coat on. So I'd be trying, I'd be working on the videos morning and night. And there was just a point where all of a sudden the channel just started growing a lot faster. And uh, it got to the point where I realized that I could quit my job and just put all my time into the channel. And that's what I did. I think that was about two years ago. And yeah, that's what I've been doing ever since. I, I, what I love about your channel, what I love about your channel is there is just a, I guess the only way to put it is there's like a Zen calm to your presentation yeah. and to your videos. Mm-hmm. There's no music. You're not jump cutting all over the place. <laughs> you're not, you're, you're literally, it's, it's, a higher end version of point a camera and do a VO. Like I, mm-hmm. I like, I like the vibe that you've created for your channel because it's not that it's not produced in any way. It's that it's, this is about the furniture. This isn't about my editing skills. This isn't about, can I create a cinematic masterpiece about refurbishing a desk? You know, like <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause you've gone, you've almost said you've almost flipped off the conventional wisdom on what makes a YouTube channel popular and you have 230,000 subs to prove it. So what you're doing is working. What did it, did, did you ever consider like, what is this channel going to look like when I put a video out it, or am I just going to keep this style? Or was there a point, has there been a point when you started to really hit your stride where it's like, do I need to do more production on these or am I just going to keep going with what's already working? Yeah. <clears throat> well, if I go back to the beginning, <clears throat> um, with the, the first few videos, I didn't even talk in them. And, you know, because I figured, well, no one's going to want to hear my voice. Why am I, why am I talking? <laughs> yeah. So 
And in the very first video I did, I did have music because I probably like, you know, a lot of people starting out, I'd watched a lot of YouTube videos. They all had music. I thought, well, I got to have music. You know, I, so mm-hmm. I just had, I just threw up some like some guitar noodling that I had recorded myself, just put it in the background. And I think except for maybe one other video that I had like 30 or 10 seconds of music in the beginning, that was the last time I ever put music in it. Um, because it was just like, I don't know, I, I didn't know if it really mattered and it was just going to be more time. And if I, I felt like, you know, I couldn't use copyrighted music. So I felt like I would want to do it, record it myself. And then that might, everything would have taken 10 times longer. So I was like, ask, just no, understand. I could do music. (laughs) And, and then, um, I also, at some point I started doing the voiceover and it's funny because at, some point I realized that just by reading the comments, that's what people were liking about mm-hmm. my videos was my voice and mm-hmm. that there was no music. <laughs> yeah. Makes so, total sense. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people watch them, not because they have any interest even in furniture restoration, just because they find them calming oh, and relaxing, mm-hmm. which yeah. is wonderful. I just, it's funny because that wasn't my original intent, but... It, I love that that's what it has happened. Yeah. Well, in the I, world I, of TikTok and stuff, it's actually remarkably yeah, exactly. difficult to find yeah. content like that. It doesn't exist. Yep. Right. And I, I think I knew one thing when I started that I, I didn't want. There's, there's already so much noise out there in the world and on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew that I didn't want to add to the noise. So I just I knew that they weren't going to be in your face and all that stuff. And it's just not really me anyway to be like that. So the way they're made, it's just, it's just me. It's just <laughs> me naturally, you know, as just coming out. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. It just, it wasn't really my intent to do that. It just happened. And it just happened. It was organic. People were, were liking <laughs> that. And so I just kept going with it. And I think it's really important too to not try to chase trends. Yeah. Because, you know, a trend it's, only going to be a trend for a short period of time. Then, you know, if you, if you bank on that and try to change yourself to fit that, that mold, then eventually that's going to be old news. And then you're going to try to, you just can be constantly yeah. chasing these things. Well, and like, and and like, I've had this combo so yeah, many times. Good, good content is good content. You don't right, need, yeah. it doesn't need any other explanation or like, it doesn't need to exist you know, within a context or anything, good content's good content. Um, how often when you're deciding what you're going to refinish, what is the, how much of it is, wow, I'm inspired to refinish this piece versus this will get views. And how do you handle that as a maker who makes videos at this point on the internet as your job? Um, good question trying to think here because i think that's it's changed my view on that whole thing recently um these days i definitely want the piece to be something i'm interested in because otherwise it's just boring and it's going to take me forever to finish it because i don't want to do it you know (laughs) yeah it is important that it's something that inspires me and that i like and then i think the second part is of the question was if it's something that would that viewers would like and i i used to think i knew 
what viewers liked, but I don't think I know so much anymore. So <laughs> that's kind of become, or I don't know if it's so much the viewers or if it's the YouTube algorithm. Yeah. Because I used to have a pretty good idea of what videos were going to be, you know, top viewed videos and what we're just going to do, which ones we're just going to do okay. But that seems to all have changed um, this year where yeah. like I, I put out videos that I thought were just going to be blockbusters and they were just, you know, eh, just mediocre. What's views. what's an example of something that you thought was going to not be popular, popular at all, but then just was, uh-huh. that just did really well. Um, yeah, actually there's a specific video this year in January, I think it was a video where I did two chairs <laughs> And I knew that was the video. I knew it. <laughs> Vincent's over here dying yeah. laughing. Two hundred and eighty thousand people watch that video. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is, <clears throat> I thought that video had everything that nobody wanted to see. But it's because <laughs> I've done chair videos in the past, mm-hmm. and they've never done well. And so it was a chair video, a two chairs actually. It was a pair of chairs. And uh, it was also January, and you know, January typically is not usually a very, I don't know, great month for YouTube in general. So, but I had these two chairs, and they—I'd had them lying around for years, and I'd started them, I never finished them, and I just figured, well, I—I I need a project. I don't have anything else. I'm just going to finish these, even though I know it's probably not going to get that many views. <laughs> I'll but, show you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. For some reason, it just took off. And that was kind of the start of the whole new thing. Like, I don't, well, I guess I don't really know then what's going to. Yeah. They're not even like off. particularly nice chairs. No offense <laughs> to the way you restored yeah. them, but they're just, they're just chairs. Like, there's well, nothing like, they're not like freakish chairs with like a freakish pattern and crazy yeah. design. They're just nice chairs. Where Where yeah. are the chairs now? Uh, in my house, actually, in my living room. Yeah. <laughs> How much of what you've restored is actually in your house, by the way? A lot. <laughs> like, if we, if we, if we, can we make you like little plaques that you could put over everything? So, like, yeah. with the YouTube title of all the stuff, then we could, then yeah. we can have like an interactive display for your whole house. It's wonderful. It'll be, it'll be so fun yeah. for yourself to walk through every day. <laughs> I know. Um, I've actually just started trying to sell stuff. Only because oh. I just can't keep all. You know, I actually end up sometimes redonating pieces after I finish oh, them. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I don't want them, and a lot of these um, pieces don't have much value. Like I said, they have way more value as a video than they do as a piece of furniture. How yeah. does? So, how does? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, if you okay. were mid thought, um, I was just right. gonna say, how does selling stuff feel different now? Because you talked a little bit about what that was like when you first tried it. Uh-huh. It, you know, it's funny. It's pretty much the same. I'm having the same <laughs> experience. I have uh, two pieces that I'm trying to sell. I ha- and I put them, well, I used to use years ago, I would use Craigslist, which was horrible. So now I'm trying Facebook marketplace, which I thought, well, it'll be a little bit better because at least it's not anonymous, you know, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I just get, I think I've gotten just, 99% of messages are, is this still available? Is this still available? Still... And I'll, I'll reply, yes, 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 yes. And never hear from people again. again. Or you get huh. lowballed like crazy. Yeah. Or so... I get like, you know, I had somebody who was going to come for something. And then all of a sudden, oh, my, you know, something came up. I can't come. And that was it, you know. It's 
have you had have you had that moment where you you just you were in the middle of restoring something and you go you know you didn't have any plans for it and then you start to get to that moment where oh this is turning out really nice like I may, maybe I didn't have an attachment to it before, but the more I put into this, the more I'm really starting to get that attachment. Like I'm starting to yeah. feel like keep this one. Yeah. I think that black bench is oh, one of those. So pretty. <laughs> so pretty. Yeah. It came out a lot nicer than I expected. Um, so that one's one I, I want to keep. I don't know yet where I'm going to put it. It's in my garage right now, but, um, yeah, definitely. There's a lot that, you know, some go the other way, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to keep that. Not so much. Not so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, so definitely. But I just, I can't keep everything, sadly. Yeah. But you can, if you, I mean, you just need to get keep getting bigger and bigger houses until right, yeah. eventually <laughs> just, you end up so with just a, a barn. Yeah. <laughs> Of all the of all the things you've restored, what in your opinion is your best work? Ooh. That you're the most proud of. Good one. Oh good one. boy. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what his best one was too, because I've seen them all. I'm like sometimes it's not what people would guess. It almost never is, by the yeah. way. Uh is it okay if I just look at the video thumbnails on my phone. Oh, maybe? sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Scroll away. So many. I don't remember. I I like. I just like that you have enough projects under your belt doing this where it's like, yeah, I have to give this a l- just a bit of thought, you know. Yeah. But um, let's see here. Even, by the way, just, you know, while he's looking at that, Brooke, even while, while yeah. we were talking about all the rules that he's broken, even his uh-huh. thumbnails break all the rules. Like, they're not <laughs> clickbaity. They're just they're just the furniture. Like, hey, look what I did before, just, after. There's something to be said for aggressive simplicity, you know? <laughs> aggressive really simplicity. direct. <laughs> this Damn is it, what I this video I, is about. I wish I didn't already make the social post for this episode because that would be the title of this episode, Aggressive Simplicity <laughs> with Steve from Dash and Design. Well, no, I think it's I think it's refreshing because like even I find myself on so many platforms at this point where you're just slapped in the face with content. Yeah. It's yeah. like I just feel manipulated and used at all times. <laughs> yeah. So to answer your question, uh, yeah. I think there was a see an end table that I did uh, about a year ago and it was painted when I got it. Someone had painted it blue and yellow uh-huh. with like butterflies okay. and stuff. And it turned out there was some really nice walnut veneer under it. So Ooh. I had to strip off all the paint and I think that probably is one of the ones i'm pretty proud of that is, that style of furniture is so you by the way that that oh, yeah. that style of table to me that two-tiered table when i saw the original um when you started the video i was like oh my god what did they do to that poor table what <laughs> is that <laughs> yeah that two-tier thing it gets a lot of comments like a lot of people have never seen one before and, and don't understand what it's for um, I don't know, maybe it's an age thing, but I, I, I there's pretty familiar to me, mm-hmm. but there, I think it might be in that video where there's a big, long comment thread of people arguing about what the <laughs> second tier is for, like it's for a phone <laughs> or it's for a lamp, or it's a, some people think it's a, like a phone chair where you sit on the table and you have a phone and, and stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I don't even know. I don't know what it's for. I was assumed it was for lamps, but uh, so it's yeah. a 60s thing, you know. Growing up, growing up, my family, all my stuff, all my family stuff was colonial, I believe. I, I'm not very good with furniture, but I'm pretty sure it was colonial and early American. Um, so it all looked the same and all my family had the same furniture just in different colors which i always thought was hysterical it's like this is this wood no it's not they have the same furniture anyway um we had a table like that and the uh, from what i understand the underside is for the phone book and the top is for the phone that's what a lot of people have Yes, you keep your giant phone book with, you know, 40 bazillion pages, your white pages and your yellow pages underneath, and then your phone sits on top. In my family, though, it ended up becoming the lamp on top and then books underneath because ours was more tall than that. But yeah, it's apparently it's a phone table. They are called, I think they're called phone tables. I could be wrong, but that's allegedly what they're for. (laughs) I actually, I like um, finding old advertisements or catalogs from the sixties up from these furniture companies. Cause I actually, I'm looking to see what they call these things. <laughs> what exactly is a credenza and what's a, a sideboard or, you know, and what's a step table, what's a lamp table, what's an end table, what's a side table. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. But. Last year, last year on the, um, on 4th of July, I went up to Jimmy DeResta's place mm-hmm. and, you know, I was talking to, um, I was talking to one of the people that was there and we were talking about, you know, the old days. Cause like I'm 46. So, you know, I'm all about so the old days. Yeah. And we were talking about the Sears Roebuck catalog and how yeah. you could literally get everything in it. And we were talking about that. You could literally buy a house in the Sears catalog. Like you could buy an actual uh-huh. house in the catalog and they would deliver you a house essentially. Right. But one of the things that I, one of the things that we were talking about, and I would think you would probably love these. There was a company, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they were actually making repros of the old Sears Robux catalogs, like and yeah. selling them. So like you could buy like a 1905 Sears Robux catalog and just have the catalog and flip through it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can find out what you could get for like a goat and a bale of hay. You could get like, you know, <laughs> six right. cast iron pans or something. You know, it's it was kind of, it's kind of crazy that there's this I feel like there's an affinity for stuff, even if it's before our time, just like certain people just have a respect for the older stuff. Yeah. You know, I think that's what comes through in the work that you do. You have a respect for the older stuff, the craftsmanship. Even when you look at stuff and you just go, well, this was clearly put together like garbage from the factory. Yeah. Like, look, it's just three nails through the bottom, toenailed into the bottom of the table. But yep. you still seem to respect the craftsmanship of yeah. what went into the pieces you you work on. Yeah. And, you know, some of them, um, you know, people always say, oh, things aren't built like they used to or everything, you know, was <laughs> built. That's not really true. And actually, I heard somebody say once the reason we think that is because the stuff that was built badly just hasn't survived. So Survivor <laughs> bias. The only, the only things that are, you know, still here are the ones that were built well. Cause so I, I come across lots of stuff that's questionable construction and <laughs> there was definitely still cheap stuff back then, but have you, have you done any restos where you've done something better than the original to kind of keep it together? Like, I don't know. I, I know you've done enough to keep them together and whatever, but have you ever thought like this, really needs to be re-engineered if this piece is going to go on for a couple of years. Like I don't off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Do you maybe have you ever done um, that or is it more like keep it as original as possible and just make it strong? Yeah, I usually keep it original and um, 
if there's something that's broken, you know, I'll mm-hmm. replace that. I don't think I've ever had to re-engineer a piece. Um, you know, if they've made it this long, this, they're usually <laughs> probably fixable. a good chance they're going to be so okay. <laughs> yeah, and their original form. I'm so. always amazed at how much you manage to do with just like wood glue. Like, and you know, as a woodworker, I know inherently that if wood's going to break, it's never going to break on a glue joint. It's going to yeah. break before, after, or next to. It's not going to break on the glue joint. But every time you do something with glue, I'm like, he's only using glue. He's only using glue. That's not going to hold. Yeah, it's going to hold. I know it's going to hold, but I, you know, I still get that uh-huh. that feeling like, oh no, that's going to fall apart. But right, and you know, you want to be careful of driving nails and screws into things when they don't need it like yeah i i pretty much every chair i've i've ever worked on has <laughs> had nails driven into the joints which and they're still loose you know they're still falling apart that's the worst that that's the one thing i'd like to say to everybody listening don't 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 drive nails into loose chair joints because it doesn't help and then when someone goes to fix it correctly it's just it's impossible to get apart without doing more damage because that nail is in there. Well, they don't take it apart. They just add another nail. <laughs> That's right, what yeah. they do. They just keep adding nails. Eventually, it's, it's a cactus instead of a chair. You know? <laughs> yeah. What was, was have you ever had a re, you ever seen a repair where you just go, oh no, oh, yeah. you must you. I mean, I imagine if you're getting stuff from thrift stores primarily or stuff at the curb, you're probably seeing a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, trying to think of a particularly bad one. Oh, there was, that's right. I had this, this little cabinet. I think it was a humidor. It's, it's like a little square cabinet with a little door. And that had a big crack going through one side and someone had stapled it and then put <laughs> duct, duct tape over the staples. <laughs> oh, well, at least they thought to put the duct tape because they knew right. the staples weren't going to hold. <laughs> yeah. So, but <laughs> and I was able to just take you the know, staples out and glue it. That visual tells a story. I can just mm-hmm. picture the person and what they were going through as, there, as they yeah. decided <laughs> to do each element of that. Pull well, the staples yeah. in and go, I ain't going to hold. That's not it. Duct tape. Yeah. <laughs> duct tape. Like, of course, the, the logical solution is to add some duct tape to it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I try not to judge these home repairs because, you know, they were, they were trying with whatever they had to well, fix yeah. it. I mean, I grew up, I, you know, I'm not to, not to play the world's smallest violin for everybody, but I grew up, <laughs> my family, we grew up relatively poor. Not, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say like poor, like we were struggling to find food, but poor where if something broke, you were way more likely to see my father or my uncle and my, fa- my grandfather or my father get together and try to figure out how to fix something. You were way more likely to see that than you were to see them you know, just go, all right, it's just no good, you know? Yeah. So I guess I understand, you know, it's out of necessity. A lot of times, a lot of these repairs are, you know, they were in the homes of your average working class person who, you know, if anything, like my dad was a carpenter, worked probably seven or eight months out of the year and was unemployed the rest of the year. Right. So it's, I guess it's, you know, just fixing it as best you can because that's that's it that's your coffee table like your coffee yeah. table for the next 25 years is this so either you fix it in a wacky way and hope it holds together or you don't have a coffee table right yeah yeah, yeah. i get satisfaction from just not buying something new mm-hmm. yeah, just being too. able to you know just being able to use what you had like i love using reclaimed wood or like 
salvaged fabrics and things like that. Yeah. 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 I love, I love that. I love that about the, your whole business model with the laser stuff. Um, with the, those are all, that's all reclaimed. The slabs are oh, reclaimed. Yeah. yeah. The stuff that otherwise was going to the chipper. Yeah. So it's kind of like a different version of the same thing that, you know, when you find a, a piece of furniture on the side of the road, yep. it's otherwise just going <laughs> to, who are, knows? Are, is there anything in the, is there anything in the Steve skill book where it's like, I, I really want to learn this and I'm just looking for the perfect piece where I can employ this on. Like, I know you, you've, you had never done the steel wool and vinegar trick before, and now mm -hmm. you've done it a couple of times. Like I, I know for, like I said, for myself, I know, I love that because it makes red Oak actually look nice. But yeah. is there anything that you have in your back pocket that you're just waiting for the perfect project to try it on? Um, let's see. I'd like to get better at color matching. Better? Um, better. Yeah. You want to get better at it? You're so... <laughs> I, I, All right. Maybe you're just doing camera trickery because I look at your stuff on camera and it's like, that's pretty impressive. But Yeah, I don't know. I think there's still a lot that I have to learn like about, I don't know, the color wheel and that kind of thing and mm -hmm. artist kind of stuff, you know. Complimentary colors yeah. um, and that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I was just actually probably in my next video, which should hopefully be out soon, is a little nightstand I'm working on. And I put, it had a laminate, plastic laminate top. So I put new walnut veneer over that. But that new walnut veneer was a totally different color than the old walnut veneer on the rest of the piece. So I had to oh boy. try and match that. And I, I went a little crazy <laughs> with the, the color. Because I've, I've been using a lot of dyes, a lot of um, mm -hmm. like trans tint dyes. You just put in water and make your own stains. So a lot of, you know, the old, I, and I think I talk about this a little bit in the video, but a lot of old walnut has a nice kind of um, orangey reddish color to it, which I like. But I know, again, I get a lot of comments in my videos from people saying, who just hate like any orange or yellow in their oh yeah furniture and but i don't feel that way unless it's red oak i like orange red oak i don't like but <laughs> walnut with some nice orangey yellowish stuff reddish i sure. like that so anyway with this nightstand i was trying to get the veneer on the top to match the rest of it which had that nice warm walnut look and i so i experimented with some orange dye and it it looked i think it looks good but it's pretty orangey uh -oh. Uh -oh. Um, yeah so we'll see what the what the viewers say but um it was a lot of trial and error that's the thing with the color matching is i feel like yeah i usually get to a pretty good place but it's mm -hmm. mostly not necessarily always because i know exactly what i'm doing just because i just tr keep trying things until it looks good so with this i i, I use a lot of that orange dye and um I don't know. I think it looks good, but we'll see. You, so color how matching. Long, how long does it typically, how long, you know, you get a piece in, you decide, I'm going to start working on this. Do you, how long does a piece general, I mean, obviously there's going to be variation depending on the complexity, what you have to do, how long you have to, but how long does a piece typically take for you to finish? Because your videos, your videos are generally under 20 minutes. Most of them are under yeah. 15. So you compressed a lot, but how much, how much time does it generally take to, get the piece, get it prepped, do the work, 
take beauty shots, et cetera, et cetera? Um, well, uh, let's see. The whole process of making the video is usually about two weeks. Wow. But, but um, that's just because when you're trying to make a video, everything takes three times longer. Yeah. Than, yeah. So, you know, I could probably finish one of these things if I wasn't making a video in three or four days. And some of that's just even just letting, allowing things to dry, you know, giving some time to dry. But when you're video, videoing everything, everything takes longer. So mm-hmm. um, I'd say with, you know, working on the piece, doing the editing, doing the voiceover, it's usually a couple of weeks it takes me. Do you have any moments where, because I know that one of the things, especially with resto stuff, where you go, all right, I have to stop working on this now. Like, cause I'll just, like, I know you talk about color matching. I imagine mm-hmm. you could go down a rabbit hole where you'll just be color matching for the next six months if you yeah. really wanted to, like, dive into it. Like, have you ever had to stop yourself and go, okay, enough? It's yeah, fine. Definitely. <laughs> a lot. Because, and that's a good question because I, I consider myself a YouTube video creator first and furniture restorer second. So mm-hmm. the main, the main uh, goal is to make the video, not to uh, get the piece of furniture perfect. Mm-hmm. Because most of the time, I'm not doing it for a client. You know, I, I, it's usually just something I picked up for myself. Mm-hmm. And it's worth way more as a video than it is as a piece of furniture. So, yeah, there's, all, there's lots of times where I just have to say, okay, that's good enough for the video. You know, I can't, it's not worth it spending three more days on this. Cause then I'll, you know, the video is going to be coming out later and you know, it, so yeah, definitely. I cut do myself you, off. <laughs> do you consider yourself a perfectionist or do you just like, do you think you have like really high standards? Like there's a, there's a wide range of people. Like there's the, it's good. There's the, I want this to be perfect. There's the, it's good. And like, where are you on the spectrum? Like, do you, I know there's a practicality that you just talked about, which actually yeah. makes sense, but you know, dream situation how perfect would it be when you were done with it like would it be super perfect or like no that's cool i can move on (laughs) to the next thing uh it used to be that it had to be super perfect yeah yeah then i realized that it was not helping me (laughs) yeah it just it was holding me back interesting because i i would do something and then i would remove it and try it again you know and then remove it try it again no it's like and and it was just, I felt like I was just chasing my tail and I just realized this is just yeah. not really helpful and not productive. So um, now I try not to chase perfection yeah. and you know, just get it. I want to get it to a place where I like it. It's good. <laughs> it may not be perfect, but, and that's another thing, actually. A lot of these pieces of furniture, especially the, these factory made pieces, which I work on mostly, they weren't perfect from the factory either. They not, were not. <laughs> no, I see a lot of weird stuff on these things. And like the, a lot of, um, I'll uncover a lot of sanding scratches and um, touch-ups. like Unfinished those, yeah. bottoms. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. Um, yeah, all kinds of weird stuff, like crooked legs, that kind of thing, that were obviously like that from the factory. So, yeah, I'm not... I, I'm not nearly as concerned anymore about getting it perfect because it never was perfect. And I just, 
eventually. I just need to get it done. <laughs> you know? I always like the way well, the, the way Jimmy talks about that because he always he uses dovetails, handcuffs. Everyone talks about having perfect hand cut dovetails. Like we have one guy who listens. Um, I'm not going to name Chris from Caldog. Oops. Um, he is like big time into these hand perfect hand cut dovetails. Like they have to be perfect. They you know, and he will work on them forever and ever. And there was one episode of making it where Jimmy was talking to the rest of the guys and they were talking about, it. and he goes, he goes, go into an antique shop just once, go in there, yeah. like go into and look at an actual antique piece of furniture with dovetails and look at them. They yeah, are not, I promise they're, you they're, they're tolerable at best. They're janky <laughs> and dovetails was a way that you could do joinery because it was affordable and didn't need metal like that yeah, was you the could do point, without fasteners. that it was is that it was economical yep it was a mechanical it, it wasn't connection this, that, like now it, nowadays it's become this like woo thing <laughs> but that's not really <laughs> what it originally was from my understanding anyway not that i'm like a dovetail expert over here but i could be completely wrong i could be completely wrong but i'm almost positive that it was more of um in the old days, it was because it was the only way to do it. Yeah, it was like, what else yeah. are you going to do? <laughs> then it then it became, well, we have fasteners. Let's use fasteners. And it's like, well, let's not use fasteners. But mm-hmm. we're still going to try to make the same kinds of connections. But yeah, it's. I agree. I think it was more of a, a cost-cutting measure than anything else. Like, you can factory make dovetails now and just kind of shove everything together and have it hold together. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah, and just, like... And like you said, you're, you're, you know, you're making content first and foremost mm-hmm. yeah. at the end of the day. Um, and I, I want to like pedal back to a comment that you made earlier in the conversation where you said that for your first YouTube video, your thought was, oh, I'll just grab a camera and point it at myself working. Right. <laughs> How, you know, like it'll, that'll, then I'll just post to the internet. It'll be easy. You know, I think right. that that's so commonly something that. I think I hear content creators say early on, but I feel like commenters always say that like, Oh, you just, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you, know, you just point and shoot. And it's not that simple, even it's for really videos not. like yours that are really straightforward. Right. It takes a lot. Yeah. And I usually, you know, I usually use one. Well, I always use one camera. So if I want to get different angles, I have to do things like three times. You have to, do it once with one camera angle. Move the camera, you know, do it again. And with the Wait, camera, do it again. you're only plus, using one camera plus, to do what you do? Yeah. You're, I wonder plus, it takes two weeks. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. Plus your hands are dirty. I don't know if that's just something I run into when I'm in the shop and I'm trying to film. It's like my hands are dirty and I'm trying to like handle yeah. the camera. Oh, the worst, the worst is like your hands when you get finish on them and you have to start your camera and it's like, I don't want to touch the buttons with my like, hands oh, like this. Like I My camera's like, covered in stain and... So. <laughs> it just is what it is. Mine's covered in paint and stuff. I I actually the lens is good though. The lens is good. <laughs> one of my one of my goals in getting that other camera that I got from Amy was to have a shop camera because I didn't want both. I didn't want my only camera to be like a shop camera because I knew like it would just get wrecked, like dust yeah. and you know pointed at the CNC and let it run. And it's like no. That's not a good idea. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But I love, I also love that. I love that you're, you're, I always like watching people in the background when you're out on your driveway. Like I always yeah. like watching the, does anyone, has anyone ever stopped and gone, Hey, what are you doing? Like his. Oh yeah. Did, yeah. Well, and that was, <clears throat> sorry, that was my old house. Um, mm-hmm. I know you moved recently, right? Yeah. Probably about a year and a half, two years ago. I moved. Mm-hmm. 
And so I don't have that anymore, which, and I kind of miss it, but yeah, that was great. <laughs> you miss it. Well, I wasn't I, expecting that. You actually miss that. Oh yeah. I, I miss having the activity in the background because I, I thought it added interest to the video. For what me, was that building behind you? Was it a church? No, that's, um, it's called the casket arts building and it, it used to be a casket factory. Oh, I love that. That's what it used to be. Yeah. That's crazy. So it was built, I think, in uh, 1896 or, something like, or 1886, somewhere around there. And when I moved into that house, it was still a casket factory. And Oh, wow. And not long afterwards, that casket company moved out of the building and it became uh, artist studios. Okay. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, it's a really cool building. It's all artist studios. So there was always activity going on behind me. And yeah. you know, across the street, which I liked because I I'm not really interested in making a tutorial type video. Mm-hmm. I'm more I don't know. To me, it's more like just about uh, documenting you know, making, your processes. Yeah, making like a little movie, you know, a little short <laughs> mm-hmm. short film. Mm-hmm. So I was never that. Uh, I, I probably now I include a lot more details about what I'm doing than I ever have. But especially back then, I think I, I really didn't um, explain a lot of things, you know, what I was doing. And I was more interested in getting the cool shot of somebody walking, you know, in the background than I was <laughs> in whatever I was doing. I was like so, your beauty shots at the end always had people walking yeah. around across the street. It was always like, yep, that that's yeah. funny. Who, where are they going? Where are all these people? I, we literally were arguing, was it was it like a college or a church? I ne- Casket uh, factory. Never would have. That wasn't make the list of guesses, yeah, huh? Th- nope. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I, I do miss that element, though. And I, I am thinking of getting a shop somewhere, um, not, you know, at my house. They would be, uh, I think, more, a lot more conducive to working because right now I'm really dependent on weather. You know, if it's raining, then I can't really do much work um or in the winter it's terrible to try to work <laughs> yeah. outside here in the winter yeah um so yeah i don't know i'd like to find some place that has some kind of interesting visual appeal kind of like my old house but it's it's the perpetual mindset of a content creator see like oh, yeah. nor like normal people just go i just want a place to work and yeah. steve no, looks no. at a place and goes yeah, but this is visually terrible. Like, I, that's there's right. No, there's no action going on back here. Like, I, I want, yeah. I want something that's gonna look good on camera. Yeah, I don't want just like a you know concrete block, windowless, yeah, big room. That's not what I want. I mean, yeah, I'd be able to work in there, but it wouldn't be interesting. Yeah, you wouldn't video. enjoy. You wouldn't. I don't think you would enjoy working there. You do you consider your I do you consider yourself more of an artist or a maker or you know, like where, where do you, we all, we, you know, we are craftsmen. We always have these discussions on this show, you know, where do, where do you place yourself on the spectrum of creatives and where do you place yourself? Um, and it's okay to call it, people get really scared about calling themselves artists or craftsmen. It's okay artists. to call yourself that by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I don't really consider myself a maker, um, in mm-hmm. the sense that how I understand it, you know, like like woodworkers, metal workers, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess more of an artist. It does feel weird, though. Preservationist? For the listeners, Steve just got visually like, oh, I'm an artist, and just right. like 
no you know yeah you can almost hear him going this is the oh. dumbest questions anyone's ever asked me i can't even believe you asked me that question yeah. what's wrong with you <laughs> no no it's a good question and yeah because i and again i don't i'm not a professional furniture restorer i don't consider mm-hmm. myself to be a professional refinisher i don't want to be a professional refinisher i've been in some furniture refinishing shops and it's like the last place i'd want to spend a day you know it's <laughs> a day yeah, it's, it's a, a windowless you know just blank room with and it smells bad there's dust everywhere that is not where i want to spend my days so um yeah i don't know i get i um i guess artist i don't know so I would say, as I would say artist oh, works yeah so as an artist what is your holy grail item that you are just Ooh. waiting to see on a sidewalk one day oh <laughs> uh, let's see well probably um first something that is painted that shouldn't be painted so i can remove the paint because that's kind of the <laughs> ultimate rescue um <laughs> And the last time I did that, even though I hate, I mean, removing paint from wood furniture is horrible. But last time I did it with that little end table I was talking about, it did really well. Um, but like specifically what type of furniture? Um, it's a good question. Like everybody has that that one piece, like um, this kind of chair or this kind of desk or. Yeah, well, I, I would say not a chair. Unless it's going to get you 283,000 views In which case bring all the chairs (laughs) Right Um, Because I actually love chairs That's a problem I have way too many chairs But I I love them But I don't like working on them Because there's there's so much work There's so many joints in the chair You know it's just Plus there's a danger to it (laughs) You do something wrong and you know, Aunt Tilly's going to be on the floor. <laughs> like you can't have that. Right. You know, <laughs> a danger though. That's <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, boy, I don't know. Uh... And if you don't have one, that's perfectly acceptable too. Yeah. 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 I think it's not so much uh, specific, like make and model, but something. My criteria these days for things that I really go for are small things that I can move around by myself mm-hmm. uh, and something that's really trashed that I can bring back to life. I hadn't, okay. even, I hadn't even thought of that. Like stuff that you can move around yourself. I did, oh, yeah. That just hit me like you work alone and you're moving <laughs> yeah. these solid pieces of wood furniture. Like, Yeah, and, and that wasn't always a thing. I used to work on really big stuff until I came to my senses and realized that a video will do just as well, whether it, you know it's a tiny like end table or a huge dresser. It's, yeah. but it, the end table takes a tenth of the work. So yeah. why bother, you know, with these huge pieces that I have to hurt myself, you know, trying to move around, yeah. when I can just get the same kind of video with a small thing. The the last thing the last thing that um, I was instructed I had to ask you mm-hmm. was where does the name Dashner Design come from? Because one of the most interesting things in the world I 
for those of you in listener land who don't know this, you know, the other day I was like, I don't really know his name. I'm just, so I just called him, yo, Mr. Dashner in in our Instagram chat. I know that's not your name. Like I just inherently just somehow knew that wasn't your name. And I'm like, um, okay. And you said, oh yeah, by the way, my name is Steve. And I'm like, oh, thank God he said that because it would have been really awkward to say, what's your real name, bro? Yeah. Uh, But where does, what's, what is the Dashner design and restoration name? Like what's that? Does that have any specific meaning or? Uh, yeah. So let's see, I'm trying to think back to when I came up with that. I think it was 2015 and, um, Let's see. I was kind of starting over with the whole uh, refinishing stuff. So I I think that's when I was at a um, vintage shop where I was renting a booth and just kind of starting, trying to start my own brand, basically. Mm -hmm. And let's see. I didn't want to use my own name because... um, Part of it, I think, was just, especially with the YouTube thing, I was really worried about putting myself out there because I tend to be uh, introverted, you know, shy, kind of like I, I don't like a lot of attention on myself. So I fully yeah. expected you to say no when I asked you to be on this because of that. I just had the no vibe <laughs> that you were going to be shy and go, yeah, I don't really do. Podcast, I don't really want to yeah. be on a podcast. No. <laughs> so sort of like as a little buffer zone. I thought, well, I'm not going to use my real name. And so the Dashner thing, Dashner is my mom's maiden name. Yeah. And I've always liked the name. And I thought that uh, it was, it would be easier to pronounce than my actual name for people. (laughs) And I liked the way it looked and I liked the way it sounded. So I decided I was going to go with Dashner. And then the design and restoration, I, I, that just kind of came. I don't even remember thinking of it's, it. It seems it that flows. seems to fit. Yeah. yeah, it just it yeah it just kind of flows. And I don't really design anything, but it's more of a <laughs> noun design than the verb design. It's like you I know, mean, as far as I'm concerned, you've blackened two pieces of oak, and you've uh, that makes you a designer now. I w I w a designer. So there you oh, go. Thank you. Uh, as someone who does it prof- as someone who does graphic design professionally, I hereby bestow upon you the title of design. Congratulations! Cool. Congrats! You didn't you didn't know this was going to be such a big deal this evening. Yes, yeah, oh, so now you can I can tell all your friends you are officially a designer. You you design things. Yeah. <laughs> but Good. no, that's that's awesome. I was. I, I I love that there's a story behind the name. Yeah. There's when 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 I when you said your real last name, I'm like. Okay, now we got to find out. Now I was half expecting out. you to just be like, I don't know, I thought of it. Yeah, <laughs> just it <sounded laughs> I was I was shy and I wasn't going to use my real name. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like on my my videos, I I still have not shown my face in my videos. Oh, I no. know it's the first time I've ever seen your face, and by the way, no one in the audience gets to see your face. Ooh, which I think is yeah, hysterical. we're in on something here. <laughs> yeah, it's a secret. <laughs> is it everything you'd hoped it would be? It's it's <laughs> remarkable. Yeah. Everything and more. I will say. I will say. I will say. Wasn't expecting, wasn't, I was expecting someone significantly older. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to say I was expecting someone significantly older, like gray hair, like right. that kind of stuff, wearing like, a, you know, big bushy beard. So, yeah, it's funny because I, 
I get comments in the video sometimes where people will be discussing me amongst themselves in the, in the <laughs> videos. And oh, people, I love it. People will say things that uh, sort of imply that they think I'm a senior citizen. You know? <laughs> it just, it just, so I, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's uh, because you're working on things from a certain era and you have a certain amount of expertise that people associate with older people who've been in the profession a really long See, time. I think it's a compliment. Yeah. Oh, it's totally a compliment. I think it's a compliment. Because people look at your experience and the level of your work and go, oh, he's got, he must be doing this for like 50 years. I mean, <laughs> um, for those of, for anyone listening without giving away too many details, how old are you? And you don't have to answer if you don't want you to. You don't have to. That's fine. 48. <laughs> there you oh, go. wow. Two years older than me. Yeah. I got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> Come on, Vincent. Catching up to do. Uh, here I was thinking I was living my best life, and, <laughs> and poor Steve's out there just crushing it. Um, wow. Yeah. So uh, why don't we go on to um, since we are somewhere in the neighborhood of an hour and fourteen minutes, which is I can't believe this went so fast. Um, Steve, why don't you? Um, Throw your thing of the week at us. I'm dying to see what you picked. Yeah. We okay, always start well, with our guest. Yep. It, it's a podcast, and it's not a maker podcast or anything. Even uh, better. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's called the Mishki Roadshow. Um, okay. Mishki is spelled M-I-S-C-H-K-E. And uh, Tom Mishki is the guy who, who does it. And he used to have a radio show. Uh, locally around here in Minnesota on an a on a really big AM radio station. And then he, at some point he left that and he started this podcast. And I used to love listening to his, his radio show. His radio show is just like no other radio show you've ever heard. It was a late night, like from 10 to midnight. It was great. So, but then he left that and he started the podcast and he does, he interviews a lot of people and, he travels around a lot to visit people and interview them. And he also does, uh, he's a great like storyteller and it's kind of hard to describe his show, but okay. he, there's one episode in particular that I just love and it's from 2016, but I still listen to it on a regular basis to this day. And it's an interview with Philippe Petit and Philippe Petit is a um, a high wire he did. walker? Yeah, I know who he is. Okay. He walked. He did the. He walked between the um. The he twin towers. Basically, gorilla walked between the twin towers in yeah. New York City. Yep. Yeah. And so, uh, Tom Mishke, he did an interview with him in uh, where he he lived in Woodstock, New York, and it's just the greatest. For me, I don't know. It just really did something for me. It's the greatest interview ever because Philippe talks about um, like creativity and being an artist and um, dealing with fear. So, you know, I mean, to do what he does, you got <laughs> to kind of a little bit insane too. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that was uh, that's something that I I still listen to that that episode to this day if I just like need to get inspired or I don't know if I'm having a hard time with something. So that would be my, my pick, the Mishki. I love Road that. Show. I'm going to have to listen to it. It sounds right up my alley. 
Yeah. I um, I'm very much I really like the f- <laughs> you you said the magic words you said Philippe Petit and I'm like <laughs> okay I, I'm gonna totally listen to the even who if knew, I only listened to that episode I'm gonna totally who, listen who to knew that those were the magic words right yeah and definitely <laughs> definitely not anyone that knows me other than people who eh, never mind, never mind. <laughs> wasn't there was a documentary about him that was on um on Netflix it came out something like ten uh-huh. years ago if I remember correctly yeah I don't remember the name of it but. Yeah, it's a that's great. It's pretty insane. Yeah. Guys, he literally tightrope walked between the World Trade Center towers. Yeah. Like, yeah. like he probably had to meditate to do it. To people that have never been to New York, they think those towers are very close to each other and they're, Vince, they're kind you of missed facing, my joke. It's fine. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> I did fine. miss your joke. <laughs> I said he probably had to meditate to do it. Ooh. I haven't mi- I've only missed one day, by the way, for those of you who keep a track. But yeah, anyway, I would totally anyway, moving on. <laughs> I would totally I would totally love to hear that because that's one of those insane things that I don't think if you if you lived in New York City, unless you've lived there or have been there, you don't appreciate how ridiculous yeah. that, that is, is as an idea. And he didn't do it on like the eighth floor. <laughs> like he was he was yeah. up there. So Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It, it's bonkers. And um, if anybody wants to listen to that episode, it's episode number seventy six. Okay. And cool. it's titled it's titled Woodstock, New York. It's not titled Bleep Petit or anything. Oh god, I would have been looking for it forever. Right. <laughs> I would have had to listen to all the episodes <laughs> to find it. Cool. I will put um I'll put that link in the show notes to that episode. And of course, if you like the podcast, by all means then subscribe to that one and listen yeah. to it after you listen to this one. After you listen yeah. to this <laughs> one. Brooke, my dear. Yes. So your turn. my thing of the week this week, because I've been trying to keep mine shop related, just, you know, because <laughs> um, is frog tape. And I, that's like the lamest thing of the week, but it's a Not true really. thing of the week yeah, because I use, I use it for everything. Um, in particular, I like I've found that it's the best resin mold on the planet is just frog tape. Really? Yeah, it doesn't stick to it. So, no way. The green, yeah, the yellow, the, the green, green frog tape, re- best resin mold ever. Like you just, you just like make a sheet of it. And then if I laser cut something, you just stick it right down on top of your sheet of frog tape and then press really hard with like a squeegee or like the side of a credit card. You can okay. pour resin just right into that. And it's a quarter, it's like up to like, I wouldn't do a big heavy resin pour where there's going to be a lot of tension on it. Mm-hmm. But for like a quarter inch pour, it's the only thing I use. It's like really easy, but. I also use it instead of sewing pins and like <laughs> sewing pins. Like I just I just use frog tape for everything. Hmm. So when I was thinking thing of the week this week, I used frog tape all day today from putting up pizza menu signs to doing a resin pour this morning. So yeah, it's good stuff. Tape. It's good stuff. And you can bulk buy it, which is great. Is it? You can just get a big old box of, of frog tape. Like we bought one three or four years ago and we're still working on it. Is frog tape the one that comes in a little plastic container? Yeah, and oh, actually, yeah. now you have me wondering if we have an off-brand one, but it's green. Yeah. So I it's always good. just call it frog tape, but maybe it's just some like off-brand well, green tape. Yeah, the one I have, I think it's frog tape. It's green, and it came in a little plastic container. Yeah, they yeah. put it in the plastic container so stuff doesn't stick to the edge of right. the tape when exactly, you put it down. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which, boys, that suck with blue tape. Pick yeah. up a nice fresh roll of blue tape, and all the sawdust in your shop is stuck to it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, frog tape. Frog tape is pretty awesome. I watched um, a tips video. It was on TikTok, 
or it was a reel. I don't remember. It was like, you're using frog tape wrong. And they showed you how to properly use frog tape to get Ooh. crisp lines when you do a transition from one color to another. Oh, like, what's the trick? It There's a, I don't understand why it works, but you're supposed to like paint the same color. Yeah. And then put the tape over it and then paint it again. No, 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 that, no. You, 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 you tape it down, then you paint it, then you paint again. Yeah. 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 Which totally makes sense. Okay. I saw, I, I don't know where I saw it either, but like I saw that and I was like, well, duh. I didn't realize I was it using fills, it wrong. The like it fills it in with the, with the color below it. I'm more of a, I'm more of a 3M blue tape budget kind of guy. I don't have the budget for frog tape. <laughs> the fancy <laughs> frog tape. I'm telling you, bulk buy the big box. Well, we were to, we buy the good tools, right? That's yeah, the Yeah, buy the good tools buy the good and tools. make it work. <laughs> the good tools is the frog tape. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. So like I was saying earlier, my thing of the week will obviously be quick because I already gave away the whole story that basically is why I bought it. But I've had, in a nutshell, I've had two multimeters over my life. I had one that I, I did some some digging through my brain housing group. One of them is from 1997 or 1998, which is really cool. It was a Radio Shack meter. It had a serial connector and it would actually connect to a computer and you could show voltages over time and it would make little graphs and stuff. It was really neat, way ahead of its time. Never used the feature, just had no use for it. So that was whatever. But the meter itself was decent or so I thought. The other meter was just a cheap, you know, Amazon one that I bought to have a second one in my shop. But when I'm working on these electronic tabletop game console things, I wanted to have a meter that was going to work and give him, give me accurate information, you know, accurate information about resistance and whether or not something has continuity or something is shorted. So I went out and I got the meter that I have seen more people use than any other meter. It's the Fluke 117 and they call it an electrician's multimeter and it even has a non-contact voltage reader. So, you know, some things like they'll do, um, you have the clamp for amps where you put it over a wire and it'll tell you how many amps are yep. running through it without having to a clamp on ammeter. They basically, that's what they're called. Um, this will actually do it for voltage. Um, it'll tell you if the line is live without you sticking a probe on it. And it's kind of neat the way it works, but it's a really nice meter. The, co the, <laughs> the probes are so nice. Like they, they have weight. They're not just on the end of a really stiff yeah. wire and, it's a really, really nice meter. I would never spend this much on a tool, but I know that these consoles, if I can flip them, are going to be worth a lot of money for me. So it was worth it for me to invest in a really nice meter instead of a cheap one. This one was, its retail price is $265.99, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, Amazon had it on sale for $210. So I was just like, you know what? Bite the bullet, buy the good tool. So that's what I did. And I bought a case to protect it So, because um, I'm nice. a good boy. Um, and what was the number of the meter? It's the Fluke 117. Okay. Um, I've I have, been looking... I'm oh, sorry. sorry. I, I have one, a meter that I bought, I think, at Radio Shack probably like 10, 15 years ago. And yeah. it's, it's just starting to get weird. Like sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't work. I, I pointed it at the same resistor three times and got three <laughs> yeah. different readings and nothing changed. I wasn't applying voltage and not, I wasn't moving stuff. I wasn't changing stuff. It was literally just giving me three different readings and none of them matched the bands on the resistor. And I'm just like, yeah. oh my God, my good, my quote, good one is not working anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, this is, so yeah, I would totally, totally, totally recommend this one. Plus it's true RMS and I'm not going to go into the whole explanation of what that means but if you know what a digital multimeter is you know that true rms is an important thing 
this is. That's why it's so expensive. Yeah. But totally, totally worth it. They make better ones too. This isn't even their best one. This is just like the mid-range model that I see everyone using. So cool. seemed like it was good enough for everyone else. So therefore, it's good enough for me. You know what else <laughs> is good enough for me, Brooke? What's that? The number of people that support this show financially, including <laughs> Dave from Atomic Airship Works, Ed from Ed's Clocks and More, Chris from Full Steam Designs, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. a weird guy, who sent me a very cool 3D printed um, resin Yoshi to add to my collection of Yoshi things, oh, which that's is so awesome. Nice. Um, Joey from JH Custom Woodcraft, Dean Duplantis from Making Our Way, Tony Langer of Langer Works, Jake from Make With Jake, Big Al Schultz from New York Woodworks, Justin Ofler of Bear Naked, another Minnesota person, uh, Greg from Platte Valley Woodworks, Andrew Richard of Andrew Richard Makes, Kellen Hazlip of Kellen Makes, David from Southern Style DIY, Jeff the Weekend DIYer, Henry Davis, HT1 Metalworks, Austin Saunders, the High Caliber Craftsman, and of course, Matthew, the wooden mustache. We appreciate the financial support from those people. If you can't afford to support the show financially, by all means, leave a review, um, share the show, tell someone about it. Whatever you can do to promote the show, we really appreciate it. It doesn't have to be financial. It can be anything, everything. We love it all. Thank you for everything you do to make this show the show that it is. And you know what else makes this show the show that it is, Brooke? What's that? Guests. And yes. we are very lucky. We have ve- we get very, very cool guests on this We show. do get some great guests. And it's been awesome to chat with you, Steve, because, again, you know, in a lot of your social media, it's, it's somewhat anonymous. So it's really nice to be able to sit down and, like, <laughs> yeah, this chat great. with Thanks. you. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. And just just for the record, this is, a, this is an ongoing thing with the show. So this is episode 151 of the podcast. This is... This is your first podcast, isn't it? It is, yes. It is. And everyone knows how much I love those words. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we, well, we hope we made it a pleasure. Yeah, yes. great. <laughs> um, that's going to do it for this week, everybody. Um, of course, I will have all of Steve's links in the show notes. Go follow him. Go check out his channel. If you haven't already, um, check out Dashner Design and Restoration on YouTube because the channel is, the videos are just fantastic. The stuff is fantastic. And if it doesn't inspire you to head out to your nearest curb and try to find magic, yeah. then I don't know what will. That will do it for this week, though. We don't <laughs> we don't know who our guest next week is going to be. We have It's going to be weeks. a surprise. We've got a couple... There's a couple of irons in the fire, but yeah, nothing's getting hammered on an anvil yet. So we don't know. We'll see. So we'll see. We'll f- you'll find out when we do. And until then, <laughs> have a great week, everybody. 